Hello everybody, it's Graham Cave and Stephen Howe with another WOW Ergonomics. It's the 29th of September, I'm going to reiterate that. It's the mm. 29th of September, which means one thing and one thing only. You know what it is? It's the day before the 30th of September. That's right. So what's yeah. that then? What's that then? End of summer? No, start of autumn? It's the, it's the no? end of September. That's that's for certain. Okay. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. Maybe you need some help with this. So I'll bring on, on our then. special guest today and see right. whether they know what, what the uh, the 30th of September is. Okay, okay so I'll just make my hands do this so that, that goes yeah. like that. A little bit of uh, space. I'll bring the wonderful Rachel Woods in. Rachel, hello. 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 Um, so first question for you today is, are yeah. you, you've, you've probably heard that conversation is, Tomorrow is the thirtieth of September, which is the yeah. last day of September. But what? But what yeah. is that? What is that? It is the day before the first of October. Ah, oh, brilliant! Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's anything massively special about the thirtieth of September. There might be. There might be. I have a book on paganism somewhere. I can look it up there, if you like. There um, might I know be. Yeah. I, I, I personally in. think. I personally yeah. think that the thirtieth right. of September is pretty important okay any, any guesses is it your birthday Graham? it is ah! <laughs> happy birthday to you <laughs> i was just furiously in the background putting into google <laughs> uh... and the best thing I, I came up with two things um graham coat's birthday <laughs> graham coat's birthday one identity cards were issued in britain on this day in 1939 and Calais was oh. reoccupied. Calais was reoccupied by the Allies in 1944, and then, no, I, had I, was then there. I had to then dive back, so I didn't get any further than that. So. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, other interesting facts were: um, I was born in 1971. Um, so, does anyone know what that was the year of? Apart from some fairly bad pop music. Oh, I wasn't um, born yet. <laughs> no. Ted Heath Prime Minister. Ted Heath Ooh. was Prime Minister. Okay, but can you can you at this very significant date or year, nineteen seventy one? Is it when Abba formed? <laughs> I love that. It? It's, it's actually the year of decimalisation in the UK. Oh. Yeah. Right. So it's when we went from shillings and stuff like that to uh ah. pounds and pence. Pounds and pence. Do you know what my mum was telling me about that the other day? She said how much of a faff it was to count out your change and work everything mm. out when you had to do it, divvy it down into shillings and pence. And, and I just, she said it was horrible. So to decimalise, although lots of people rallied against it, she said, it was so simple. It was mm. such a simple, I'm, I'm incredibly... deeply grateful we never had to do that. I'm deeply grateful we never had to do any of that. Absolutely. It incredibly, uh, incredibly rallied against. And interestingly, uh, we are one of the only countries in the world where we have really st still tried to hold on to some imperial measurements. Now, yeah. you, you might have seen this. All right. Yeah. Long time ago, and um, Stephen used to be in this trade as well. So he, oh, yes. he, he, oh, okay. he okay. may know this as well. Um, do you remember well, listing paper? Yeah, oh, I would. <laughs> 14 and a half inch wide listing it, paper. Yeah, right. Listing paper. But mm -hmm. listing paper weirdly it was the stuff that you used to put in those dot matrix dot matrix printers oh, yeah. with the holes down the side Lines. the holes down the side yes oh, right. but whenever you the name of it oh, never no. knew the name of it. i remember this paper but i didn't realize i remember i'm just paper. full of useless facts that's doing every day um but listing paper we always saw, when we sold listing paper it was always it would be like 11 and a half by 241 it That's was like always... They used to mix. They used to mix the me the the imperial and the metric measurements, didn't they? Yeah. Um... And we've done that in this country with loads of different things mm. over the years, mm. where we've put one of the measurements is metric and the other of that. And look, think about it. What do we still do in terms of things like people's height? Yeah, you know? feet and inches. Yeah, feet and inches. Yeah. I still think in terms of miles and miles per hour. I don't do kph. Mm. Yeah, I can We're do. We're mad in this country. We're mad. Is it us in the US that still very much focus on miles, pounds, ounces, yeah. and all that sort of thing? I'm just thinking the US does it. We do it. But I mean, there can't be many of us still left measuring in those 
ways, can I they? No. Think so. You yeah. go round. You go round the rest of Europe, and everybody else has gone completely metric. We mm. we have really tried to hold on to it, like <laughs> you know, like some kind of bad buffoons that we are. In oh, the I don't know. I quite like the quirkiness of it. I do. Oh, can, you, can you imagine the sign makers out there who are just praying for the day? <laughs> That every single road sign with some sort Goes of distance measurement, <laughs> they'll be <laughs> like rubbing their hands, won't they? Bonuses all round for those guys when that happens. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. But you know, it's it's ingrained within our culture to try and hold on to things. Look, you know, we've even got shops in the UK called Pound Stretcher. Think about that in five years' time. Yeah. Or Poundland, five years' yeah. time. You know, yeah. what's a pound going to be worth in five years' time? My kids, my kids laugh Nothing. as they go past it now. <laughs> it's just mad it's just madness i I did see earlier this week and sorry i'm slightly digressing from introducing rachel properly but we will in a second we will but was it galaxy that would sort of did this movement where the price stays the same but the size of the bar shrinks was it a galaxy they they the first ones to do shrinkflation there was one this week wasn't there someone they were saying oh this has suddenly happened and someone else had sort of gone and keeping the price the same but shrinking the size of the bar so was it saying the price stayed the same I think Mars bars did it, though, didn't they? Right. Every, everybody's done yeah. it. Everybody's I know done dairy it. milk definitely has. Dairy milk has definitely shrunk. And yes. Yeah. Although the price has now gone up, so that isn't shrinkflation, really. I'm, I'm, actually, I'm looking forward to the day when actually eating a Mars bar or, or other chocolate bars are available. Eating a chocolate bar will actually help you lose weight because all you'll do is open the packet and get a... It's air. <laughs> Smell of go, chocolate. Yeah, with, the, with the essence of chocolate in there. I just, <laughs> it's like, I just, oh, I just, the good old days when I actually I'm ate just a Mars bar. the idea of chocolate. <laughs> Not even the essence, just the idea of it. I just found the article, the Galaxy Bar is shrinking from 110 down to 100 grams that's what's happening so it's mars who owns the galaxy brand so the 110 gram bars are losing about 10 percent, but they're keeping the price the same so i suppose in reality it's 10 percent increase isn't it yeah yeah it is except uh and and uh, and we can bring this back into ergonomics okay but let's introduce Rachel first, and then I'll then I'll do it because I will I will segue that back in in a minute. But let's introduce Rachel first. That will keep you uh, that will keep you on tender hooks, folks. So that we come back into that conversation in a minute, and I will yeah. try and remember. Rachel, hello, thanks for joining us. I'm sorry we just abstracted you completely already. Um, do do say who you are and, and what it is that you do. Yeah, okay. So, um, oh, I clearly, as it says on the screen, I'm Rachel Woods. Um, I run Rachel Woods Coaching, but I am also known as Coach in Nature, although I don't go by that so much online anymore, just because a lot of my clients are like, what? Don't get it. Um, no, I am a leadership coach. So, working in the, the professional and executive sector, again, Coach in Nature sounded a bit hippie, I think, for a lot of folks. Um, however, I do still take my coaches outside. We go wandering uh, around um, the local estates around here, Longleat Estate, the Stourhead Estate, Durham Park, beautiful beautiful big mostly national trust and and other places um and talk about stuff that they need to tackle to do better in their businesses do better for their businesses a lot of people i work with are are sme owners and they're struggling to go from that doing the do and, and looking after their baby which is their business and being able to trust bringing in, say, a, um, a business manager, a, a operations manager or director, so they can step away and do the important task of how do we keep this business sustainable? What do we need to do to keep it going in the future, as opposed to rolling our sleeves up, getting in the weeds and doing the do all the time? It's a real mindset shift. And a lot of work I do with leaders is in that space. Not solely, but that's part of, part of the course. Um, other than that, I have a podcast of my own called We're Human because I'm very, very keen on bringing the human back into leadership and busting that myth that we all have to put a power suit on and stick a different mask on and go off and be a table banging leader. I think the world is going that way slowly, but surely we're getting there. Empathy and compassion can be a powerful thing in leadership and introversion. Introversion is amazing in, in, in a leadership position. I did a poll, Graham, actually inspired by your polls, actually. Thank so I do Graham's polls always popular. I'm gonna do one of those. Yeah. And it was about leadership and people thinking about the best leaders they ever had and whether they reckoned they were, they were introverts, extroverts, or people that they weren't sure because they flexed it so beautifully. Ambiverts. And ambiverts, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. the overwhelming, I think 80% came back was either introverts or ambiverts. 
Right. Only two or three people said that their best leaders they ever worked with were extroverts, which is quite telling when you kind of go into it. The map people I speak to just this morning, I coach you online, and they had the assumption that to be a great leader, they had to become across as an extrovert, even though that wasn't naturally them. And it was exhausting. It was draining. It was scary. It was, I think it's, excuse my language, bollocks. Can I swear on this one? Well, no, you but just you did. just have. <laughs> it's a mild swear word. But, but yeah, absolute tosh, because... Yes, okay, I think ambiversion is is a real superpower because you can flex. But ultimately, yes, okay, you're going to have to step up every now and again. But if you know where your energy comes from and how you recharge and how you best kind of get back on on, on top again, you can still be amazing and be an introverted leader. Absolutely. And I was really, really heart warmed, I think, when I did that poll and it came back in the way I hoped it would come back because that could have massively backfired on me, let's face it. How how does that sort of cross over with things like sort of... um... Color therapy, oh, okay. color, um, sort of looking at people as different colors, you know, and where. Oh, you do like insights, like the psych- it, color, yeah, yeah. psychological, psychological insights. Yeah, that's the one. Um, where yeah. leaders are red and quite fiery and kind of, you know, um, but then actually, that means that they don't necessarily like yellows because yellows yeah. are kind of so, quite, yeah. If you use that language with anyone that, that that facilitates insights, they will tell you off big time for calling someone a red or a yellow. Because <laughs> okay, right. you're a mixture, yeah. You are, you are. And it's, we're like a packet of Skittles. Um, but we have a preference for these different colour energies, as insights calls them. Um, and whether it's kind of fiery red, that kind of be bright, be brief, be gone, off you go. Whether it's more that, um, you know... We know a few of those. Extroverted yellow, kind of, um, you know, enthusiastic and energetic, or whether it's the caring green, so don't show me you care, and, and and I want to know everyone's okay and make sure everything's all right. But also, actually, they can be quite stubborn and sullen if, they, if they're not happy and, and they're the sulkers of the world, maybe. But again, not always. And then that, the blue energy is the detail. Show me detail. Really let me get into the nitty-gritty of things. But everyone has everything in different actually you guys i'm making a massive assumption here on all of our ages i know how old you are now graham we will remember the graphic equalizers on hi-fis right yeah right all right okay so yeah day to day moment by moment if you were to do an insights profile now it would be different if you did one in like i don't know four hours time when you're playing because you'll be ramping different things up you'll be pushing different things down you'll be doing this all of the time but you will have certain areas preferences that are more dominant than others your patience for example your tolerance for silliness that kind of thing um so that it's it's helpful in leadership to know what those things are to know your preferences to know yourself and that's a lot of what i work in i'm not actually an insights practitioner anymore i let that lapse in 2020 i think when i was due to do it and they wanted four thousand pounds on that no thank you um well you go independent you have to become a yeah anyway Um, i was i was under an umbrella company with when i was employed that was luxury um so I kept it going because now I'm paying for it myself. I'm like, nah. Also, there are better tools out there, in my opinion. Um, there's Lumina Spark, which is really thorough, really, really thorough. And I would invest in that in the future. So if anyone's out there that wants to give me a discount, yay, because I've just given you a big up. <laughs> <laughs> I always, hey, I'll never say no. Um, actually, DISC isn't bad, but it's modeled very much on the same principles as um, Insights. They both use Jungian theory. So Carl Jung's theory of um, and preferences and behavioral um, and attitudinal behaviors. So, yeah, there are a lot of them out there. So I'm kind of in that space of I understand enough about all of them now that I work with my leaders on a very much a person by person basis without giving them the tools which allow them to pigeonhole themselves too much or pigeonhole other people too much. So we're human as a podcast is very much around. Actually, we are beautifully weird, wonderful, nuanced, special, unique, just like everybody else. Um, and ultimately, you know, it, it's pulling those strings together. I'm not saying I'm going to poo-poo psychometrics entirely. They have their place and they're really useful for team builds and team dynamics and getting people to work together and start to know themselves. But they are, they do come with the caveat of being very cautious that people don't use things like, well, you're a yellow, so you can't do this, or you're a blue, so you're too much in the detail and you don't care. Mm. Um, or you're a red leader, so you're a table banger, <laughs> all that kind of stuff, because that's what happens. And when I was using it in, in, in work for Danon, no matter how many times you said don't use it that way, people would run away going, I'm a blue, or they'd use it as an excuse. I don't yeah. have any blue energy, so don't give me any detailed work to do. Like. Oh, I have I have a, I have a smear of blue on my profile. I literally have it, just a smudge. 
And yet I was running payroll and bonus reports for 600 people across two countries for four years running. They trusted me with that level of detail, with having this of blue energy. So yes, I could do it. I was exhausted. I ate my body weight in chocolate. Coming back to that, and I might bring you back to your point about Galaxy there, Graham. But it didn't mean I couldn't do it. It just meant I had to very carefully manage my energy so I could get myself into the zone to make it happen. So that's why I'm a little bit cautious with these psychometrics, because they do tend to give a little bit of excuse Mm. option. (laughs) And, And that's... A bit of a worry sometimes, but yeah. So I'm waffling now. It's great to. That's fine. We, we'll have a little bit. Waffle away. Um, in, in terms of your in terms of your podcast, you've obviously then you mm. know talked to to you know several leaders as it I were. Have. Yeah. Um, in in terms of how they're leading, etc. Has any of that conversation filtered over into the environment in which they're leading in? Because we'd be quite interested in that. I'm not sure, actually. I'd have to kind of revisit. Um, what we've been doing with We're Human is, is, is leadership and dot, dot, dot on certain themes, certain topics. Um, so from that perspective, I mean, I do know when I speak to Phil Coley, so he did the one on psychology, I do know that he uses sports psychology from his background as well as his understanding of the broader psychology. He uses that within his work, absolutely, with his clients, with his team, um, you know, moving forward. And so in marketing, because he's, he's kind of marketing and sales guru, he's my marketing and sales guru. Um and then I think when you talk to um, James Horn, he uses the EOS system, which is a, a system of organizations. They can do a, a deep dive into what they need to do to improve and, and, and evolve and, and do better um, in the world as an organization, not just as a leader. Um, and then having spoken to obviously Kirsty Waite, we're talking about ethics and then what that means. And it sounds really dry, but actually it was probably the most of the sort of funny versions because we were talking, you know, where ethics can go wrong. And, and then I think we started talking about family businesses at one point where I, I've had experience of ethics being quite shaky and a bit oh. dodgy in in that sense when you're bringing outsiders into a family business and that level mm. of nepotism that can happen the danger of that oh and, yeah tell me about but my experience is very different to hers so that was quite interesting um, and then we've been talking guts with Dana Chapman so they're the squishy kind not the um, bravery kind um, so again she's talking about how leaders can bring that health and well-being through Food education, rather than being the food police and banning cake Tuesdays and that kind of thing, but just being more um, feeling towards people who are trying to do better for their own health. So maybe not having, you know, birthday cakes. So if you bring a cake in for your birthday, like you would have to if you're in office, Graham, remember those days, we all got cakes in on our birthday. Why do we have to buy that, by the way? That no, that's a Somerset thing. That's a Somerset really? thing. Is it? it doesn't no, it, yeah, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. doesn't it happens in London. Uh, no, it doesn't. It did. Chiswick Park, down on office. There was always an well, email going Well, then you had, you had lots of people from Somerset in your office in Chiswick Park. Oh, is there? Is this Somerset? Growing, growing, up, growing up in Bedfordshire, <laughs> never, ever, people brought you the cakes on your birthday. Mm. Oh, really? I was I thought, think, I've always I had it that you take them comments. in. Yeah, yeah, I think you'll get some comments to say, no, that's not true, Graham. No. I, yeah, maybe, yeah. but seriously, Guaranteed. growing up, it was always the other way around. I actually I actually spoke to someone on a podcast about it the other day, and they said, yeah, it was always the other way around where they go. lived. Right. So I, I, think it's, well, I, think it, I think it depends which yeah. area you come from. Okay, so that or not, whether you're doing Cake Tuesdays or no Cake Tuesdays, it's what, what, what role does leadership need to play to help people stick to the things that they're, they've decided to stick to and help them have healthy choices as well as you know not not saying hey you can't have sweet treats every now and again because that's just that just well, don't, don't put them out on people's desks exactly as, not as on the in the open plan office right on one of these desks yeah. you have to walk past to get anywhere like well no hide them in the corner of the kitchen or something so it's an effort to go and get it rather than just grabbing a bit on the way by and off you go so well, we've talked about this before i i, I i've seen businesses deliberately put it out as the treat yeah you know, they, yeah. they go and they buy the big boxes of donuts or whatever yeah. the worst one ever was a, a, as i've said on this before was a, a business that were plying their young staff with alcohol mm-hmm. at, on, on a business estate where you had to drive to it oh, God. yeah you know <laughs> yeah. but it was like oh well we'll give them alco pops all day long yeah. to motivate them yeah. and the dana gives yeah. Dana does give an example of where it was a firm of lawyers, I think, that used to, every Tuesday would bring in donuts. Mm-hmm. The, the partners would bring in donuts for everybody and they'd be somewhere really accessible, really going. So, again, if you've got like low willpower, but you're really trying to cut down on how much sugar you're taking in, 
that's tough. Mm. That's and when you're having a happy day, and you get to three o'clock and you've been really good all day, you're like, well, I've been good all day, so I deserve. And and that little voice in your head that's mm. really hard to resist kind of drives you. I was in HR. We had a cupboard that we kept all of our treats in, and it was still too tempting because it was too nearby. Mm. Even it's though slightly- yeah, it cuts across a little bit, Graham, what we were saying last week, wasn't it? And I know we've got on this subject before about sort of welcome packs when people start at businesses. And we touched on it last week, didn't we? But something we've mentioned a couple of times over the last sort of six or eight months is when you see people sort of putting things on LinkedIn about them starting a new job and the welcome pack and, and the fact that they're putting alcohol in there, they're putting chocolate in there. And, and you know, how it doesn't sort of consider anyone's, whether it's religious beliefs or yeah, per- previous or ongoing or... Yeah, dietary addictions, yeah. things like that. It's it's sort of, we've sort of said a few times, haven't we, that it's, it needs to be thought out a little bit more so it's healthy and productive and not just that little, you know, box of um, lint balls or bottle of champagne or whatever it would be because it just sends out the wrong message and you just don't know how that's going to affect the person who's the recipient exactly. yeah exactly because it won't feel like a welcome will it if you if you're a non-drinker no. or mm. if you you know have certain religious beliefs that you don't eat certain things and it's in the box you suddenly go oh, you know. well, i mean it's, it's any fact... company stupid enough to put a packet of pork scratchings in the box that would be a bit cuts across this it was really the fact that it kind of cuts across the the, the kind of rhetoric that the, the company's putting out there as well. So if the company's yeah. talking about well-being of staff and everything else, and then what it does is give them a box of chocolates and a, mm-hmm. and a bottle of champagne, that doesn't really that doesn't really sort of sit with that. Whereas if you gave somebody, um, you know, a, a set of ergonomic aids and, and some, yeah. you know, instruction on how to use it, you gave them a, a gym pass, you gave them maybe, a, you know, a, a, a sort of, six month subscription to yeah. some healthy eating thing like you know um you know some veg box type thing or whatever then at least yeah. what you're doing is you're promoting the things that you actually believe in yeah you're demonstrating your culture aren't you through that yeah. and it's also it's not sort of semi-passive aggressive of this is who we are and this is who we expect you to be because there's booze and chocolate in the box or certain particular things. Or well, they're saying that, I guess there is that, you know, if you get the gym card and you think, oh God, is everyone here like gym bunnies or something? How am I going to feel mm. about that? So you, you kind of have to be careful on both fronts, but at the same time, it's a take it or, you know, to take it or leave it thing for it, or give it to someone else, isn't it? Okay, oh yeah, my other half would really like that. Mm. Fine, yeah. if you don't use it, that's okay, but you use it, give it to somebody else that you that, that appreciates it. But it's less judgmental, isn't it? Mm. Or we're just going to assume that you like champagne or chocolates or... Yeah. With your HR experience, Rachel, those sort of things that are put together in terms of those welcome packs, does that tend to be something that's driven by HR or is it driven by leaders in the business or is it, a, it could be a mixture of both or neither, but I'm just interested um, as to Janet, how, does it, it, yeah, how does it come to being what it is in your experience? I, well, in my experience, it was the leaders had a great idea and went, here, HR, you make it happen. Mm. <laughs> Um, in the main, um, sometimes it's led by HR, L&D or, or recruiting managers. Um, I think really savvy, strategic HR teams will have much more input into stuff like that. Um, some of the best ones I ever got had like a, a reusable, you know, coffee cup that you didn't have to put yeah. coffee, obviously, like, but made of like bamboo or something. So you had, you know, a screw on lid and you knew it was it was decomposable and, and it was all kind of compostable even. So you, you knew you had something that was a bit more green. You got a notebook and I haven't met anyone at all whatsoever that doesn't get one of these and goes, oh, I really like that. <laughs> even if they only use the first four pages and then ignore it forever because it's sullied by then. Everyone I know, I don't know whether it's a women thing or I'd actually, I should ask you two guys as chaps, if somebody gave you a lovely, nice bound notebook, lovely clean pages, maybe there's little dots that people use for like journal planning, you love those ones. Do you get excited about submission like I do? I went, I went to see a, one of our partners open a new furniture showroom earlier this week and they gave me a nice box and in it, he says, leaning down, there's a company we've seen before. Yay! Yeah. yeah. One of them. Yeah. yeah. Happy yeah. days. As I was as happy as Larry. The amount of diaries I've used for the first month and then ditched. Yeah. <laughs> it's now, not overly environmentally friendly, I will admit. So I don't buy diaries anymore for that reason. But I do buy these sorts of books because I can turn them into a diary if I want to. Yeah, yeah. And they last forever. I fill them up. And I do make myself finish them now. I'm quite proud of how much I get through to the end. And they are stuffed with stuff. Mm. When I need to find it again, it's awful because <laughs> I don't index anything. 
but while we're, while we're yeah. showing off our diaries. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right. We're having I, a stationary. I, I, I do not. No, I do not use a, a, a manual diary. But when it comes to notebooks, wow. because because that's a piddly notebook. I I actually buy these <laughs> now. I buy a teacher planner because right. these are brilliant. Have they got uh, the little dividers and things you can put pockets in? Yeah, but but yeah. the way that they actually, uh, work, the way that they actually create the the information mm. and structure it almost like a lesson, uh, like is really useful in terms of uh, social media planning. Okay. So, um, yeah, and it and it's got things like structure, tasks, and outcomes, and I just really like that. Nice, brilliant. Yeah, I do like that. I, so, uh, I would feel too constrained by it having anything written in it. <laughs> so, I'd I, be scribbling I all over need, the right I need it to be restraining <laughs> with having stuff in it because otherwise it looks like me doodling triangles. Okay. And boxes. Which um, apparently somebody um, uh, talked to me. Uh, that, that's another whole uh, podcast to be honest uh, which is uh, interpretation of people's doodles um, why doodle boxes boxes has got to be the one hasn't it box yeah, bo swirls, and I then draw that. them in three a square start with start with a square yeah square and then make it 3d oh yeah and then just <laughs> i sometimes do start sometimes again do again. square and then make it in 3d but but then when i get more complex and then i start doing the triangles inside it and then do circles inside the triangles and make it almost into Something that resembles a kind of toy that you could give your child at Christmas in their stocking okay. as some kind of puzzle. What that means, uh, <laughs> you can all write in. I've genuinely got a research paper somewhere that talks about the power of doodles. Yeah. Um, and I wish I could remember who it was, but it's, it's one of these coaching thinkers from the 70s, 80s, I think talks a lot about the power of the doodle um, mm. and what not so much what it means, but also what is happening while you're doodling and what your brain's doing. Because your brain, it's one of the things that your brain can take in information while you're doodling because you can do it mindlessly. Um, it's one of those things that you, cause you can't do a lot of things twice. You couldn't you know, sing the alphabet and write down the words to happy birthday. Um, but at the same time, you can doodle and think and listen. And there's something about um, stimulating the fingertips. So if you're fiddling with something, it tends right. to keep you present in the, in the room and in the space. So if you're trying to concentrate on what somebody's saying and you've got a pen in your hand, don't click it because that's really annoying, but do, I don't know, rub your thumb on the, on the thing or something and just keep yourself there because it helps you focus. As I, yeah, don't do the clicky thing because that's there. People will grab the pen off you and throw so it. So talking about that, that's quite interesting, <laughs> actually, because um, I won't say who it was, but the other day I had to edit a podcast and um, somebody on the podcast, because there were a lot of people on this podcast, and somebody on the podcast all the way through was, and unfortunately I had, I separated out all of the tracks, was, oh. it's a very nervous thing, isn't yeah. it? It's you unconscious know. as well a lot of the time. Just it don't is. It's, it, you know, so yeah. you... It's one of those things where when you when you do podcasts with people, you have to say like, turn your notifications off, turn this mm -hmm. off, do this. Well, you do got that. any kitchen pens in your you hand? Know, but but you sometimes can't see that they've got something like a pen on the. You mm. know, and then midway through, it's like, yeah, it's like, and you can't sort of stop the stream of consciousness and go, excuse me, <laughs> can you stop clicking your blinking pen? It's um, but yeah, no, it's uh, just to kind of carry on on that vein for a minute because mm. it's a very interesting subject but when i was at the the last business that i was involved with um which was helping students with note writing or kind of one of the one of the things about that and one of the reasons i wanted to join the business is i've always been absolutely useless at taking notes because i can't i can't take notes um if i take notes then i'm not listening you know yeah. and it's always it's always been one of those things where people go now make sure you take good notes and you think yeah, but you but then you're not listening so, yeah, and then they're not good notes because you're hearing and, it and then they're not good <laughs> notes so one of the one of the things we were trying to move towards and i think it's one of the great blended things about technology is we were trying to move to almost a situation where you don't have to do anything and the granulation of that information would be granulated in some way that actually this is this is the holy grail in terms of note writing mm -hmm. As you listen, what you're listening to gets granulated and put into some kind of order 
based upon your thought process without you actually doing anything. We're not there yet. One day we will actually get there, I believe. And I I believe people like Musk, um, with his nano chip in your head, will probably be really, (laughs) really, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny though because you watch these things where you've got somebody doodling while somebody's talking and they almost cartoonize what the, the story is um there's mm. a lovely um again it's it's, it's it's on youtube somewhere and it talks about the um uh, money as a motivator it only works to a certain point once you get past a certain point money is no longer a motivator for humans basically and somebody is i think it's dan pink that does the the narration but somebody's doing a doodle all the way through and that story has stuck with me on the basis of the doodle versus the basis of what he's saying but I know what he was saying because the doodle kind of takes me through in a lovely takes me back to being a kid and reading through those kind of Garfield annuals and and God knows what to just to kind of because I would follow the story so much better with Mm. a visual and some words just just associating to the visual and that's that's Um, where I I kind of went with the whole uh, note writing thing which was that um as I was trying to sort of architect the the perfect thing was that actually what you want to do is you want to be able to capture the information in lots of different ways yeah allowing the person that's listening to do what they need to do in the middle of that happening so if someone needs to just sit there and doodle because actually the doodling is quite helpful to them. Mm. Yeah, it's a letting them You do need it. to allow them to do that, but actually maybe capture more of the information and the granulation in other ways. So there's some, you know, for the future, just to, for those that want to really know, there yeah. could be some really interesting technology that would um, help with that. I mean, we even started looking at Amazon uh, uh, developing some really clever technology which scans people's faces. Right. as they're listening to information right. and recognises when information's being taken in and when it's not. <laughs> when you zone out and think about your shopping list for the evening. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It's, so it looks for, it looks for, and that's really good for feedback for people um, that are uh, disseminating that information as well, yeah. to go, actually, at that point, you had them and that yeah. bit will go in. At that yeah, point, you lost them there. <laughs> yeah. You completely lost them. Yeah. You know? Well, they do say, isn't it, get them involved at least every 10 minutes. Get your audience mm. involved every oh, every thirty they, seconds, I believe. If you can, <laughs> yeah, because ultimately, what it does is it keeps them on their toes for a start. Because nobody wants to get caught out, do they? Mm. Let's face it, nobody wants to be kind of caught napping or looking at their phone. But at the same time, it's our attention span as adults should be able to last for maybe ten minutes, and then. I've got something to think about what I've just been told and therefore I'm embedding it that little bit more because I'm thinking about it. And then we move on to the next thing and then we move on to the next thing. But even then, you still, you go to these things. I had to do a presentation yesterday and it was mostly me talking for an hour and a half. We had a couple of experiential seconds. I'm just like this... No, we're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna shift that somehow. But again, mm. there was a lot of information to get across. You couldn't avoid. So, how else can you make that happen? What else can you do to make that digestible that doesn't involve me losing my voice after an hour and a half? Yeah. When I went to that event earlier in the week on Tuesday, and you saw the company when I lifted the thing up, but they had a couple of speakers there. One lady about coffee, which is really interesting. But the, the second person, yeah, always interesting to talk about coffee. <laughs> the second speaker was an ex-professional footballer um, called Paul McVeigh who used to play for Norwich City and Tottenham. And he did a probably a 50-minute talk around psychology and your attitude. And, and, you know, we talked about how he sort of had built up from a kid in Belfast to become a, you know, a Premier League football player. One thing he did was, was that, that I know it's quite common, but just to keep people on their toes and engaged, he sort of got five, five or six maybe questions that you went onto an app on your phone and you put an answer in and the answers went at the screen and that became oh, like a conversation. Yeah, yeah, and it was just quite yeah, interesting. Yeah. I, you know, I haven't seen people do that for a while, but it yeah. was interesting. They just kept that audi- audience participation and kept people sort of quite engaged, yeah. as you I say. I like She mentioned yeah. a lovely little tool for that. Because you can put the um, uh, QR code up on the screen so they can just hold the phones up. That's what we did. It was literally QR and code. And then... Yeah, yeah, they're answering on the phone. Myro is another one that's great for getting... Yeah. Collaboration and, and the involved. most common answer, if there was some people putting the same answer, would sort of be words all appearing, but it would sort of be in bigger text. Yes, yeah. yeah. yeah, so yeah. you could see, well, actually, what's it, yeah. in an audience of 50 or 60 people, you could see the word on there, but you've got yeah. to feel for how much, how well, common is that thought. Going back to the note writing thing, that was one of the things that I, I was interested in and in, in trying to integrate into the note writing process was the... Mm 
was the question and answer and learning process as well. Because actually, mm-hmm. if if you then change how uh, how something's delivered mm-hmm. and include things like questions, if you then start to marry up the information that people are capturing with how they're answering questions, you get closer to understanding whether or not that is being understood and learned at the same time right so we should never see these processes as being separated from each other in a way we need to we need to find ways of integrating again back to uh you know at one one point we're going to have these neurochips in uh and and it will be able to read what we're thinking i love you're so convinced we're all going to have neurochips oh absolutely (laughs) completely and utterly Uh, like we're all going to go to space uh with spacex as well it just all it will all happen you know i guess we might have to if we, if we carry on the way we're going, we might have to. <laughs> but just going going back to what my earlier question. Uh, so in terms of in terms of environment, you you've um, n- not many leaders actually talking about the envi- the work environment or the, the you know the changes that have happened in terms of people working remotely or working from home, etc. And how yeah. that's changed leadership then, because I think yeah. that's a I think that's a massive piece. You see. It has, and it's a real challenge for leaders as well to get their heads into that space because there are those that like want everyone back because that's the only way I feel like I can kind of control things or keep an eye on everything. And that to me shouts, I don't trust the people I've, I've recruited. Yeah. Yeah. That screams to me, I've pulled people in, I made the decision to employ these people. And I'm thinking, well, did you make a crappy decision then? Because clearly you've employed them, but you don't trust them to get on and do the job. And obviously you're not measuring their outputs, you're measuring their presenteeism. And that to me is a, is a massive red flag. And in a leadership sense, when they're so insistent, they have to be in the office. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there is giving humans the opportunity to get together and work collaboratively, physically, face-to-face, because that's a very healthy thing as well. So finding the balance for leaders at the moment is actually a real a real challenge, and I do feel for them, because I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. Obviously, if you're in the hotel industry, folk can't work from home. If you're in retail and you have physical shops, folk aren't going to work from home and service those shops. So you do need to have that balance. But at the same time, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real challenge to understand i suppose for a leader is to think why is it what is my motivation because if it isn't a definite requirement for being physically present like you know um, service industries like hotels restaurants and, and, sh- and shops and things you're all working in i don't know financial services or um, you know other service industries that can be mostly online whether you're coming from an office or whether you're coming from home your customer interaction is via phones computers that kind of thing <clears throat> what is your real motivation for wanting everybody in one place Mm. really and and that that reality that realization can be quite an eye-opener for those that are prepared to do the thinking around it Mm. and then when they're uncomfortable with what they find out is how comfortable not uncomfortable how prepared are they to sit with that discomfort and really understand it because it's only when we sit with that discomfort and really get to know it do we get to the bottom of why we want to do things we get to understand the purpose of what we're driving for and we either realize that really isn't right or no, actually, this works and it has to happen. And so, and fair enough, you've done the thinking. But so many just aren't doing the thinking. They're just going, no, no, my way, highway, everyone back. Well, is it is it that they're, they're just not doing the thinking? Are they actually doing the asking as well? Are they yeah, exactly. actually asking their people, what what is it that you would actually like to get out of this? Because, you know, for me, the office as it was, was dead before COVID even came along to a degree yeah yeah just 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 because you know who what's the point of going to a space where you sit in your little cubicle all day long don't even interact with (laughs) the people next to you and then go off home again at the end of the day you know and what all that covid did was show people that it was like would you I, i haven't missed anything Mm. you know it, it was, was like the final thing. nail in the coffin wasn't it it was unless, the final nail in the coffin unless they did miss something from yeah. it and well to be fair extracting those fair, things isn't it i missed the office i did now i right. I, I i left my 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 employment on actually my last day was 29th of march 2020. wow epic time oh, wow. i had a leaving due via zoom so there wasn't snot and tears and cuddles in the office so that was kind of okay so i'm like I'm quite relieved about that 
Um, I had my leaving call via Zoom. I then started up my business at the start of the pandemic. Not the best time to start a business, let's face it. Um, and for the first year, I really missed human contact. I missed going into the office and seeing my team and being with my team because we did work collaboratively. We sat on a bank desk together. You could just kind of call across the desk and go, hey, what do you think about this? You know, we could have these little chats. We'd go for a walk at lunchtime around the block and just get some fresh air and think about some stuff, whether it was private or, or, or professional. So you had that human connection and I, I genuinely missed that. And I'm more introverted than I am extroverted, a little bit ambivert, but mostly on the introverted side. Um, I massively missed that and it took me a long time. Actually, I went and got a part-time job. So last year I worked for two days a week in a farm shop just to have human connections because I wasn't getting enough through the work I was doing. Once I started working like I do with Cornell three or four days a week, then actually that, that changed a little bit. But again, it's still this. Oh, it's this sort of connection. Um, so I now go and sometimes on a Friday work from a coffee shop. You know, yeah. I work from a coffee shop and see people and chat with the owner and that kind of thing. So I'm just I'm around people. Mm. So I think there is a place for an office, but you're right, Graham. It's not about going and sitting in a pod and not talking to anyone all day. If you're driven by that and that makes you happy, then get you not work from home if that keeps you productive. If it's a case of actually, guys, we need to get our heads mm. together and this doesn't really work for that, let's all get our heads together in a shared space that's you know everyone can get to and the rest so it, again but it's that flexibility because i think there are these organizations that are going a bit all or nothing again mm. and like we say lockdown was the big eye-opener so many companies said no you can't work from home you can't do that job from home no 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 then the minute lockdown started right everybody now needs to work from home but you said we could yeah suddenly it was possible now you can suddenly it was fine forget yeah. everything you were told yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're sitting there going, you bloody hypocrites. Yeah. <laughs> like, we, we had a conversation the other day with someone that was saying that, that you know, they were getting rid of the elongated uh, boardroom tables. They were going more for like round, round tables so that everybody sat even uh, equally around that, etc. But uh, has anybody seen any examples where maybe away from the sort of desk scenario, furniture within office spaces is changing because i mean one of the most wonderful pieces of uh, a collaborative furniture i've ever seen from an architect was a, a room called the bowl has anyone ever seen that no, no. It's, no. it's wonderful so rather than you you enter into this meeting room so rather than the the you know hierarchical system of the boardroom table where you know the management or the man sits at the end right and you know you sort of um try and sit as far away from the manager as possible because otherwise you're going to get picked on um you know probably three quarters of the way round to the left is probably a good space um it it created this space which was you go in and there was a massive bowl and you climb up as a team into the bowl and you sit round on the inside of the bowl Okay, and, and you're all at the same level, and and yeah. you you know it's a it's about literally you you know you can then stand and then talk yeah. to the bowl almost like an amphitheater, but it's brilliant. I thought I, I just I love the idea that we start to get more creative with yeah. any kind of space which we're gonna use for collaborative work to actually go. Yeah, you can actually collaborate in this space. Mm. Yeah, you know? collective. I like it when you see sort of training areas, and I do um, follow an HR buddy of mine. So, um, and Mel Hartley. So, Melanie Hartley, who just does, she's very, she's big on, on LinkedIn. She's all over the place, blast it. She's very, very, very pink. Love it. She's, she is a unicorn when it comes to these things. Um, but she, shows pictures of different training rooms that she's using when she goes and does she does insights actually funnily enough and she's in this room amazing you can see outside big glass windows there's a view but the seating is all different you've got different kind of like sofa type things there's little buffets there's like normal style you know what i'd say standard meeting room type chairs and just to blend and actually one thing that really opened my eyes was when melody costas came and commented on that saying actually when you're making an accessible area for meetings, for collaborative working, for boardrooms, whatever you want to do, how often do you walk into that and all the chairs are exactly the same? Mm. We might have room for wheelchairs, so there's a nod to the disabled because there's room for wheelchairs. Only 8% of people are actually wheelchair users that are disabled. What about all the others? What do they need to sit on? Are they okay in a chair like that? Are they better off if they kind of sit to one side because of their different different abilities or, or needs? Um, and for Mel, she, she, she would struggle with those sorts of chairs all of the time to sit there for a day's kind of activity or something. Conferences, 
row upon row upon row upon row of exactly the same types of chair. So it's, it's that opened my eyes because I'd never really thought of it like that. I mean, she even talks about mm. you know, facilities, disabled facilities. I went in one at the weekend because it was the only toilet available. And everything is at wheelchair level. So to use the sink, I'm literally kind of, I thought, actually, if I was to be leaning over like that as someone who doesn't really have massive kind of back problems or hip problems, that would hurt to do if I had to do it for too long. Mm. But of course, I'm just washing my hands. So I'm not doing it for too long. Mm. Those that do have hip problems and back problems, that hurts to do it even for a few seconds. So they've made, by making it accessible to the 8%, they've made it inaccessible to some of the rest mm. by making everything at low level because it's for the wheelchair users, assuming that that's the only version of disability because, let's face it, it's the it's the logo, isn't it? So we touched on this with Jodie Greer, haven't we, in the past, Graham, where we, I think she spoke about the exact same subject, mm. that by sort of amending those facilities, quite rightly making disabled facilities available, it was only targeting a small portion of the people who actually would want exactly. to use that facility. So exactly. actually in itself, it's not being inclusive because it's almost <laughs> being, it's being sort of exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. And when it's trying to be inclusive at the I same know. time. You, the intent is lovely. You can see the intent behind it. But the application hasn't been yeah. done with consultation from people that are disabled. It's really interesting what's actually happened fascinating. Uh, uh, over the last couple of years. Because what's, what's actually happened is there's the biggest opportunity ever to enable people by allowing people to work where, wherever they need to work. Right? Yeah. That's the, yeah. that, was, that has been the biggest opportunity ever. And some companies have grasped it and some companies really haven't grasped it. <laughs> you know, the fact that, you know, if, if somebody, uh, if, if somebody works in an office, one of the things that's always been a pain in the backside for anybody that's different in any shape or form, and it doesn't need to be a disability even, it might just be that they're six foot six, <laughs> is that... All, you know, when the architect, sorry architects, but this is the truth, when the architects design that room, lay that room out, uh, you know, specify the furniture for that room, everything's at the same height. Every, mm. All of the chairs are exactly the same. So it all looks absolutely lovely. Mm. But yeah. that means that anybody that's different, does it doesn't fit, Yeah. you know? And and that's that's a problem. Now with people going home what happened was that people suddenly understood because they were very uncomfortable at first and people were working at their dining room chairs and whatever they had yeah. a period of time where they started to work out what was comfortable what wasn't comfortable for them and they started to kind of put together and manifest if you like what was ideal yeah. so that information's kind of there now but whether you then take that up as a company and go right now that you've had that experience and you've kind of worked on what works, what doesn't work, etc., you know, can can you let us know so that we can kind of try and incorporate that as much as possible into the design so that mm -hmm. we make these spaces work for everybody. Some are doing it, some some just ain't listening. And it, it, as I say, it's it's a it's a massive it's been a massive opportunity really because it go it went against years and years and years of office design mm. where everything was aesthetic yeah yeah all the same form over function form over you function it has to look like this it has to yeah and it could be dropped nice in any in any there's... office block and you'd have no idea what organization you work for where you were all at the chairs look the yeah, same all the desks yeah. look the same and you i know the organizations try and get in you know chairs that can be adjusted and, and personalized but even then you've got people working part-time you've got different people coming and going so every time you come in fresh, you get in your chair, you're like, oh, it's been changed. I've got to now set it back to how I need it. And you're wasting time getting working. And the organization wants you back at your desk and on your calls by X o'clock. Takes you 10 minutes to get your chair sorted out. You're then leaving earlier to get in earlier to sort your chair out. And it, it's, I don't know. I, I love the fact that you've brought that point up, though. But yeah. Because that's an organizational problem right there. Yeah. That's a management problem right there. Yeah. Lack of training. Because actually, any ergonomist will tell you that you need to fiddle, you need to be empowered, and you yeah. need to actually change. It's that that setting up time is not a waste of time. We quite no. often use the analogy of 
the car. You would not get in the car after your partner, who is four foot six, has got in the car. <laughs> start like, driving. If you're yeah. six foot two okay, and start driving, because your knees would be up around your ears yeah. and you would crash. You will adjust the seat. You will adjust yeah. the mirror. You will adjust the side mirrors so you can see and you feel comfortable. You might even change the, the height of the steering wheel. And yet, we feel that we can't do that in an office. We can't just set things up for us and get everything right before we start off. And this is, so the, the biggest, one of the biggest problems in terms of, or one of the biggest things that really needs adjustment in terms of ergonomics, full stop, is time. Mm. We, we, you know, man, managers need to understand that time spent just doing certain things is not wasted time. It's mm. not counterproductive. It's the same as, is it, and this is, I mean, this is mind-blowing, I think, for some management, is it wasted time to just allow people to think in a day? Yeah. Take, a, take, take away a task. Yeah. Take away anything that's actually, you know, achieving something at that point. I just need time to think. I've yeah. just been I've just been bombarded by information all morning mm. about this 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 and this and now I need to think about it. Yeah. Because it's a miss. That... It's a miss for a lot of management. Leaders are allowed to go and do that. Those yeah. in leadership and management are allowed to go and do that. I'm having some thinking time that's okay. <laughs> But actually, when you're, you know, if you're in a contact center or and I say if you've had like exactly your, your example there, Graham, you've had a morning of training and you're like, right, you know, you've got five minute break to go and you have a comfort break or get a cup of tea straight back on the phones. So where's the digestion time? Where's that time to just stop and let that settle and let it percolate? And, and, and actually think about any questions you might have to ask as a follow up, because you, know, you might get two days later and go, I'm sure I got told that, but now I'm not remembering and that's not helpful. Yeah. Then have you wasted time on that training? Or some of the training time will be wasted because it not enough has gone in. Um, there's a bigger question about the quality of the training, of course. But still, you know, it's, it's time, isn't it? If you need people back on the phones or back in their jobs or back on the task by a certain time and you're doing training or doing something else with them beforehand, then factor that time in. Stick 20 minutes mm -hmm. at the end for that specific purpose. Go away and talk about this amongst yourselves for 10 minutes and come back with some questions because it's allowing that percolation time. Stephen, have you ever had feedback like that from dealers in terms of getting implementing ergonomic solutions out in in the you know in the field etc because I certainly remember times when I'd go to to give that educational piece and whatever and I'd be told um and I do need them back on the phones in 10 minutes. <laughs> I think, as you say, type there's, yeah. there's, there's things that need extra time and additional time for people to absorb them in. If you start putting people on the clock, it then becomes a rush and a panic and people forget about it. So actually everything you've taught them sort of gets lost because you were being asked to squeeze it into a certain time period. To, and you're right. I think if, if, if it takes 15 minutes to tell someone to do something and it sticks, that's more worthwhile than doing giving them 10 minutes. And, have, and them doing it wrong or going in again and again and again. So putting putting time constraints on sort of training and education, certainly around ergonomics, is not going to get people on board. It, you know, they, it, it, the, the drop off will be very, very quick because they haven't been able to take people take things in at different paces. And mm. if you're 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 restricting it or constricting it, you, you then you might think you've gained a little time in the short term, but long term, what you're trying to make stick just won't stick and it will just drop off and you've got to, it's got to be then started up again and again. It'd be so interesting to, 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 to do or get some facts from people about mm. how many extra times they've had to go in and reiterate the same information yeah. because they weren't allowed yeah. to do it in the right way and the right yeah. time the first time round, yeah. and then the people receiving the information... Yeah weren't allowed that time to, to absorb it. And, therefore... and am I right in assuming that the work, if you're, you're doing that work, you're going in and you're educating people around ergonomics in the workplace or, or wherever, wherever that happens to be, 
that a lot of that job that you're doing, and that's okay, there's the nuts and bolts of it, is the how-tos, but it's about behavioral change, isn't it? It's about creating Correct. habits, like you say, spending that time to fiddle with your chair. Yeah. It's creating those habits that lead to long-lasting results. And you don't yeah. create habits without, A, unlearning the bad ones, and then having time to embed the new ones. But it's not just what you learn on the day, even if you've got time to think about it afterwards. Mm. It's how does the organization then make those habits easier for those people to do every day and make the bad habits harder for people to do every day. Going back to Absolutely. the cake thing, you know, the nail, bad nail habit on is the head. Thing, yep. easy to grab. The, the good habit is let's hide it away somewhere so we have, people have to make an effort to go and do it. So in which case, a lot of people won't because they can't be bothered, which is a good thing. Um, you know, you want to run in the morning, keep your shoes by the front door, that kind of thing. Good habit. You want to steer clear of the chocolate in the house, hide it. You want to eat more fruit, make it where it's accessible to grab. And, and I think with ergonomics, I'm guessing that there's a lot of behavioral shifts that you would expect the, those organizations to make. But how many of them, in your experience, actually stop and go, right, so what changes can we make to embed this behavior? Limited. Very, very limited. Hmm. You know, and that, and and that's. I'm glad we're talking about this this morning because I think it, I think it's part and parcel of you know where the different sectors need to come in, and I think it's where mm -hmm. you know we need to work with people like yourself, etc., who are who are doing the management piece or the leadership piece as well, because you know it it's part of the cultural shift and mindset shift change, yeah. etc. You will not get well-being on the agenda properly and, and make the changes in terms of well-being and actually make it much more proactive rather than reactive we're very mm. reactive in this country everything's sort of like oh goodness oh, yeah. someone's yeah. about to someone's about to sue me mm. right because because you know uh they've got pain at work all of the time now now i better get somebody in and sort it out you yeah. know it's yeah. it, it, it's so it's it's so there where it should be so proactive and really mm. uh helping everybody to understand how to self-serve in the first place and what what they need to do and what they don't need to do and as you say learning learning proper habits and that takes time mm. and i'll come back to the time thing again <laughs> Ma manage, management just you're not allowing enough time yeah. But then managers quite often aren't allowed enough time. That's that's the challenge is the leadership will be pushing and pushing and pushing. The mm. teams are pushing back. Managers are in the middle. They're in a sandwich of translating ideas from the top and encouraging action from below and changes of behavior. They have a behavioral shift to make themselves. They have an opportunity and a, I think actually a duty to role model this stuff to demonstrate that it is possible. But again, they've got all of these extra pulls on their time, going back to time again. So I do feel for managers because they are probably in that, squeezy bit in the middle mm. actually quite often leaders don't run model this stuff and that's quite dangerous as they where i know we, we pick on leaders because there's a lot on their shoulders let's face it but at the same time they do have a duty to really be um you know driving for these things also how much are they happy paying loads of sick pay because of people having work-related injuries dse related injuries maybe maybe we're getting it all wrong folks um maybe maybe, maybe we should <laughs> be talking about four day working weeks maybe we should yeah. be talking about five day working weeks but actually uh four days of the week you work and one day of the week you think um who knows who knows maybe i'm just getting you to think about it yeah, yeah. Well, they did, the, they did the experiment, didn't they? The four-day working week experiment. A lot of organisations did mm. that. Some have carried it on because actually they found it was more productive. They had a more productive workforce at that point. Is it the same across the board? I don't know. I haven't looked into the research. Yeah, I think yet. the organiser. I think a lot of those organisations loved it because they were getting a lot out of people in four days. Yeah. I'm not sure that some of the people that are doing it within the four days actually. It's a question of whether it's four really long days, isn't it? And is it worth yeah, it to yeah. do four yeah. really yeah. long days? Sixteen hours a day, four days a week. No, thanks. Are you are you actually working four days? Yeah. We're gonna have to have a second episode with Rachel. We've we've virtually run out of our time. If, I know, we? right? I'd very highly recommend Mel Costas if you've ever got an opportunity to get her on. She will she's 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 a, a, a tour a force of nature she's into rural health uh, rural mental health where we are lacking graham you'll know this somerset and dorset and devon and so we don't have great rural mental health services actually we don't have great city or town mental health services frankly but we um, do have a lot of trees 
she's all yeah we do and that's that's a very good mental health service frankly because nature is amazing and i would love to talk about that more um but she does also have a, a, a yeah a big thing to say about ergonomics for those with um, different abilities disabilities and um, different needs within working situations um, we shall we shall get her on maybe, maybe yeah, you can it to her. that that would be I fantastic i'll drop yeah. it i'll drop her a line say hey connect with graham if you're not already Folks, this has been Rachel Woods on today. I, I hope you've enjoyed the, the conversation. A, a little bit more of talk about management today, but you know, think of some of the challenges we've we've talked about a lot of different things, including uh, how we take notes, doodles. Uh, you know, the fact that is is that all right? Um, different personality types within business. Are you an introvert, ambivert? Uh, do, does you know does that make a difference in terms of the the way you interact with people? Uh, we've we've also talked about working environments and and how maybe we need to work more with culture change people uh, in terms of the ergonomics community in order to actually make those changes happen at management level. We'll be back next week at midday for more of the same. Uh, keep safe out there, won't you? Bye for now. Thank you. Ah. Gosh.